honor and privilege of sharing the Word of God with you here this morning. And I want to dive right in. So Romans chapter 15. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to turn there. We have Bibles throughout the room. We will have the verses on the screen. If you would, please stand as we are about to hear from the Lord. Romans 15, looking at verses 7 through 13, we're going to be reading from the ESV. Word of God says the following. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Verse 12, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's pray. Dear God of hope, You are our hope. Lord, each and every week, people come into this place and church gatherings all across the globe, and we are weighed down by the trials and tribulations of this world. There are many burdens that we carry in here, things that are on our mind, things that weigh heavy in our heart, and we come looking for hope but we have come to the right place because you are the God of hope. I pray that you will speak to your people today and that you would use me to do it. What a privilege. What an honor. I am humbled. Speak to your people now, please. We ask this in Jesus' good name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, I got four points for you to consider here today. We're going to work through them one by one. I believe each and every one of them is derived from the text. So it might seem a little confusing as I give you all four of them up front. But as we work through, uh, I'm hoping we don't end up with a muddled mess at the end. That has been my prayer all week. So here are the four points that I came up with. What we see in this section of Scripture. We see the exhortation. We see the example. We see the explanation, and we see the expectation. And I will seek to break each and every one of those down as we go. First, the exhortation. Before we get into the particular exhortation here in our text, I think we have to ask the question, what is an exhortation? It's a biblical term. It is a term you see throughout the Bible, and it means to strongly encourage or emphatically urge someone to do something. And so when it comes from somebody like the Apostle Paul, found in sacred scripture, you can see an exhortation as a command. 
He's saying, this is what you are to do. So what is the exhortation that we have in Romans 15 here, at least in this section? Which should not come as any surprise to any of us if we've been coming here for the last few weeks. The exhortation is to welcome one another. Verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And this has been Paul's theme for, for many verses, going all the way back to Romans chapter 14 in the first verse. He says there, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And so over the last four weeks, this weekend included, we, we have tried as preachers to sufficiently cover what Paul has been laboring to convey to us, and that is to welcome one another. And so if you've been coming here for the last three weekends, and you're still quarreling with a fellow believer over some secondary doctrine or secondary issue, uh, frankly, I feel like Flavor Flav I can't do nothing for you, man. I can simply point you to what has been written and what has been preached for the last month. We have covered this, I think, sufficiently. But in a nutshell, here's what's going on in the church in Rome, and it's going on in churches today. People gather together, just like this gathering, different opinions, different perspectives, different backgrounds, different upbringings, different life experiences. We're all at different levels of maturity. We have different takes on those disputable matters, those matters of conscience. Yet, we are called to not quarrel, to not despise one another, to not uh, pass judgment upon a brother or sister over things like food. We're not to put a stumbling block in the way of a fellow believer such that they trip and fall, spiritually speaking. Right? These are the things that we are to do, and this is the goal of all this is to, yes, welcome one another, but then build each other up to the glory of God, as it says at the end of verse 7 there. This, that's what this is all about, is the glory of God. That is always the end game, and that's the case here. What does 1 Corinthians 10 say? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So that's the exhortation. Welcome one another. Shouldn't come as a great surprise to you. What's the example that he provides? He says in verse 7, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The exhortation is to welcome one another. The example is as Christ has welcomed you. And who is the you there that he's speaking to? Well, I think it's a plural you. It is a plural you. It doesn't matter what I think. It, he's speaking to all the people gathered, Jew and Gentile, strong, weak, mature, immature. He's speaking to everybody in the Roman church because that was the makeup of the Roman church. And that's the makeup of every church, including Living Water Community Church. Because that is what the church is consisted of, people whom Jesus Christ has welcomed. And so what is one of the defining characteristics of a person who Christ has welcomed? Well, let's hear from Christ himself. He says in Luke chapter 5, verse 32, he says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
That is the defining characteristic of a church member. It's the prerequisite. You must be a sinner. And we all check that box, every single one of us. And I think we need to never lose sight of this, that Jesus Christ welcomes sinners. He ate with them. He drank with them. He hung with them, right? He, he welcomed them in, and he's still doing that today. And he welcomes in some of the worst of the worst, lawbreakers, criminals, liars, thieves, cheats, adulterers, pornographers, the sexually immoral, the child abuser, the wife beater, the drug addict, the alcoholic. He welcomes all of those people. And he even welcomes people who have done none of those things, but they instead look down upon those people because he welcomes the pride-filled too. He came for all. He, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, and he will welcome any and all who will come to him humbly, simply asking to be forgiven. They must come humbly penitent, and he will welcome them. And we should know this here, because such were some of you and me. But we were washed. We were cleaned. We were sanctified. We were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God, the God of hope. And with Him, there's hope. Without Him, we are hopeless. See, in the midst of all this diversity talk, you know, we, we're talking a lot about diversity. There are certain universal truths that are not just true for people in the church, but they're true for every person walking the planet. We all have a common creator. Every single person does. One common creator. We have one common condition, sinful. And that one common condition leads to one common consequence, condemnation. And if that was the end of the story... That's it. Game over. We're created by a holy, just God who's going to punish lawbreakers, and we are all lawbreakers. Done. Game over. There would be no hope. But praise God for the cross of Christ, where our condemnation gets canceled. Look with me at Colossians 2. Verses 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses. Don't miss that. You were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us. How many of our trespasses? All of them. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, there's some cancel culture that I can get with right there. I'm down with that, right? Canceling our record of debt. There's the hope, the cross of Christ. Let me, let me seek to paint a picture for you. Imagine a cross, high and lifted up. If you need a visual, we have a cross right over here for you to look at, right? Envision a cross, the old rugged cross, big, heavy Matt, that, that cross is super heavy. I helped put that thing up. It took like five of us, okay? Envision a real cross, but it is an empty cross because the one who hung there is no longer there. 
Instead, on that cross, what you see is a receipt nailed to it. It is a super long receipt, almost as long as those receipts you get from CVS. <laughs> they are out of control. I'm no environmentalist, but they are straight killing trees over at CVS. I appreciate the coupons and all, y'all, but come on now. But this receipt nailed to this cross, it's your rap sheet. It's all the dirt that you've ever done. It's every sinful thought. It's every lustful look. It's every harsh word. It's every careless word. It's every sinful deed. Every time you've sinned against God and sinned against your fellow man, all itemized there on this long receipt nailed to a cross. But as you look at the bottom, there it is, stamped, paid in full. Right? Signed Christ with love. Now, I don't know what kind of day you're having today. I don't know what last week was like for you. I don't know what's got you weighed down for the week to come. We're all carrying something in here, right? But that's got to do something for you. That has got to bring some measure of encouragement, right? It doesn't make all that other stuff go away. You still got to deal with it. But that truth will help you cope and navigate and maneuver through the trials of this world. If we remember that and not lose sight of that great price that was paid on our behalf. See, and as we look out in our world, I don't know what you see. I look out in the world. I, this world is circling the drain. I'm telling you, it is going straight to hell in a handbasket. Are you paying attention to what's going on? Pastor Mike and I were just talking about this morning, and we're not looking at it from holier than thou, kind of looking down. We're just grieved. We're grieved over the state of our world and the rebellion and the opposition against God that we witness on a daily basis, and it seems to be ever-increasing. And there's a diversity of sinful behavior out there. There's no shortage of it. There's more every day. What, what did it say earlier in Romans? We're inventors of evil. Like we create new ways to sin every single day. But in the diversity of all that sinfulness, there's one singular solution. It's the Savior, the Christ. And he stands with outstretched arms ready to receive anyone who will come to him in repentance and faith. We can't forget this. There is the hope. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. There's hope for that person you say, they're hopeless. Right? There's hope. How do I know? He saved me. And he saved you if you're in Christ. See, with man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. What did Jesus say? Anyone Anyone who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. He doesn't shun anybody. He doesn't push them away. No, that thing you've done, whoa, that was too much. That, my, my blood cannot cover that. It's that ugly. He doesn't say that. He doesn't turn them away. We must not underestimate this God of hope. Because Christ has welcomed people like you and me he set the example. We now follow his example and we welcome one another.
Verse 8, continuing in the text. It says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Verse 8 begins with the word for. We've seen this all throughout Romans. When you see that, Paul is entering into explaining mode. And that's what he's about to do. So we have the exhortation and the example, but now we get the explanation. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised. That's the Jewish people, of course. To show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why? Verse 9. In order that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, might glorify God for his mercy. Now, Paul just mentions it here in Romans 15, but he dealt extensively with this earlier in Romans in chapter 11. Remember the olive tree, you had the natural branches that were broken off. The Jews, because of their unbelief, the natural branches were broken off so that the Gentiles might be grafted in. The wild olive shoots, we covered that. But that's not the only place that he discusses this. He actually wrote it to the church in Galatia. Uh, many believe Galatians was written before Romans. I, I hold to that viewpoint. And so he said to the church in Galatia, Galatians 3, he said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham, the patriarch, might come to the Gentiles. So that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. We'll come back to Galatians in a minute, but let's continue here in Romans 15 because Paul is really about to do a deep dive into the scriptures, what we would call the Old Testament. So the second half of verse 9 through verse 12, let's, let's read that. We see, as it is written, that's code for I'm about to go into the Old Testament. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse, that's Jesus, will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. We have four Old Testament citations, one from the law, one from the prophets, and two from the writings, in this case here, the Psalms. And so just let me give you the cross-references. Any good study Bible can do this for you. We, we can't get into each and every one of these. We just don't have time for it. But verse 9, if you want to jot these down, is from Psalm uh, 1849. Verse 10 is from Deuteronomy 32:43. Verse 11 is from Psalm 117, verse 1. And verse 12 is from Isaiah. There's the prophet, chapter 11, verse 10. Well, why four quotations, right? I mean, he hits us, and again, and again, and again. I mean, Paul is making his point here with a sledgehammer. He's really hammering it home. And what is he saying by doing this? He's conveying to us, this was the plan all along. 
That, that's, that's a summation of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the writings. He says all throughout the Old Testament, this was the plan all along, not just for the Jews, but also for the inclusion of the Gentiles. And so by using these four citations, he's saying, what I'm conveying to you is firmly rooted in your Bible. And so if you disagree with what I'm saying here, you're disagreeing with what God has already said all throughout the scriptures and the law and the prophets and the writings. But then Paul gets really explicit in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 2. He addresses the Gentiles directly there. He says, remember that you, that's the Gentiles, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ to form one church, one church, both Jew and Gentile alike. I was trying to come up with a, a good illustration for this and God in his kindness provided one. Uh, it's uh, not my own. It's from another theologian, this particular theologian. He's kind of a, a young guy, uh, an up-and-comer. You may have heard, uh, heard his name before, uh, but I've been spending a lot of time with uh, this young theologian because I live with him. His name is Nathan Bongo. This 16-year-old young man also happens to be my son. And he's quickly becoming one of my favorite theologians. You know why? Because he gives me sermon illustrations all the time. And they're good. Like, he's so good, he's giving a sermon illustration without even trying. Like, that's how you know you're good, right? So we've been watching a lot of sports lately. Nathan is a complete sports nut. I don't know where he gets it from. I think it's his mom. Hopefully he's watching at home. Hey, Nate, buddy, love you. Thank you for this. But we've been watching a lot of baseball, right? We're in the middle of summer. What are you going to watch? Baseball. His two favorite teams are the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Atlanta Braves. Now, you might be thinking, okay, you live in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Nathan has only known Harrisburg. How does a young man end up with two favorite teams, one in L.A. and the other in Atlanta? Well, there's a very simple answer to that. He is a complete front runner. If you follow baseball, the last two years, you know who's won the title? It was the Los Angeles Dodgers two years ago and the Atlanta Braves last year. So Nathan has figured out how to always ensure that you're going to root for a winner. You just find out who the best team is, who wins the championship, and you make that team your favorite team. I told you he's smart, right? Pittsburgh Pirate fans are like, why didn't we think of that? <laughs> you know, it's tough being a Pirates fan. They're like some 15 games out of first place. Well, join Nathan. See, this works across the board in sports, like in, in NBA if you're an NBA fan, you can join him in being a Milwaukee Bucks fan and a Golden State Warriors fan. Who won the last two titles? You guessed it, the Bucks and the Warriors. I think he's on to something with this. 
But he asked me the question. He said, Dad, do you think that the Dodgers and the Braves will meet this year in the World Series? And I said, no, not at all. I don't think that at all. And he couldn't understand why. He said, well, wait a minute. But if they just both keep on winning, won't they meet for the championship? And I said, no, buddy, that, that, that's not how it works. See, they're both in the National League. And if you know how baseball works, the World Series is the best team from the National League plays the best team from the American League. But this didn't make sense in his mind. You know why? All he sees is baseball. That's it. One heading, one umbrella. He doesn't recognize distinctions. He sees one league, Major League Baseball. He doesn't understand American League and National League. That just doesn't compute in his mind. And that's what makes this such a good sermon illustration, because that's how it is in the church. At least that's how it should be. One, one, one league, if you will, the church, Christianity. There isn't more than one league. There isn't the Jew league and the Gentile league, or the male league and the female league, or the black league and the white league. No, we are all one in Christ Jesus without distinction, unified as the church, as Galatians 3 says. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The very thing that Romans 15 says. I love the continuity of Scripture. So the church Christ is the head, and we are the body. But the body's diverse, Mike, right? It is. The body's diverse with many members, right? We don't, it's not a whitewashing, and everybody gets assimilated. We don't have these distinctions. But recognize what Galatians 3 is saying. It says no male and female. Well, I see male and female in front of me. I'm a male. I don't lose, I don't, I don't become non-binary, right? I'm still a male, and we have male and female in here. We have black and white, right? But we are one church. One church. Different gifts, different callings, different roles, many members, but we function as a single unit for God's glory. Let me reinforce the point here with Ephesians chapter 4. A lot of scripture today. You want to hear from the Lord on this. This is uh, Paul once again here. He says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There aren't multiple plans of salvation. There's one plan, and it's been the plan all along, and that plan is Jesus for all people at all times. Yes, the gate is narrow, and I know our world struggles with this, the exclusivity of Christ. There aren't many paths to God. Jesus spoke very clearly about this. I know you know this. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
There's no, under, no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The name is Jesus. So we're not just trying to enforce our beliefs upon other people. This is truth. Either you believe that or you don't. There's one way, and it is a narrow gate, and it is a narrow road. But that gate is wide enough for any repentant person who seeks to enter can enter. They can squeeze through. It's wide enough for you and all of your garbage. Because it's wide enough for me and my garbage. And then he begins to strip away that garbage as we grow in him. But you just come as you are and enter in and he will welcome you if you come in that manner. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. He picks us up out of the muck and the mire that is our lives. And sometimes we're in the muck and the mire of our own doing. Sometimes it's just we live in a fallen world and it's just how it goes. But this is what God does for the worst of the worst. He picks us up out of the mud. He cleans us up. He stands us up, puts our feet on a solid rock well, along with other sinful people. right? And then that's where we coexist. We do more than coexist. We love and welcome one another. And he gives this group of people we call the church something incredibly important that we all need, and that is hope. That's verse 13. Paul concludes once again with a prayer. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It's been said that People can go 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but you can't go four seconds without hope. And so if hope is that important, we need to make sure we understand it rightly. We need to have a good definition of biblical hope. If I was to put you on the spot and ask you, define for me hope, I suspect that for many of us, what we're going to articulate is going to be something that sounds a lot like wishful thinking, that actually conveys more doubt and uncertainty than it does what a true biblical hope is. People will say things like this. I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow because I want to go hiking. And I would say that, that there's no certainty in the usage of the word hope in that. That is wishful thinking. And I'm going to show you why. If you were to look at the forecast for tomorrow, and the forecast said, sunny all day long, 0% chance of rain, you're not going to say, well, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. You know why? Because that's not how you use the word hope. You use it differently. You would sound more optimistic. You would say something like, tomorrow's looking good for our hike. And you, see, you hear the confident expectancy in those words? Well, biblical hope is not wishful thinking, like many of us in the way we use the word hope. It's actually, actual confident expectancy. And that's why I say we have the exhortation, the example, the explanation, but now we have the expectation. The good workable definition of hope. Instead of wishful thinking, confident expectancy, certainty. And the operative word there is confidence. It's from the Latin, con, with, fide, faith. Confidence literally means with faith. And everybody has faith in something. 
Even the most vocal atheist who will yell and scream and say, I don't live by faith, you know what they do? They get around that word faith by using the word confidence. They're just simply telling you their source of faith when they say that. And so the question is for all of us walking the planet and everybody in this room and everybody joining us at home, where's your confidence? Where is your faith? Where's your hope reside? And sadly, and I say this is sadly because I think many people, their confidence is in themselves. It's in themselves. And I think it can be easily demonstrated by asking a question. I will ask you the question. If I was to ask you, where do you think you're going to go when you die? Are you going to go to heaven when you die? I've asked that question to a lot of people. And I would say, far and away, the most popular response I get to the question, are you going to go to heaven when you die, is what? I hope so. I hope so. I ask you, does that demonstrate certainty or doubt? I say it demonstrates doubt. And here's why. Well, what would be the most logical follow-up question to that? You're going to go to heaven when you die? I hope so. The question there is, Where's your hope? Okay, what are you hoping in? What is your hope? And when you ask them that question, you know what you're going to get? I hope I do enough good. I hope I don't misbehave. I hope I don't sin too much. I hope I'm good enough. I hope I. I hope I. I hope I. Where is their hope? In self. I think I just demonstrated it. See, here's how you would answer that question. Where's your hope? Here's how I would answer it. Take it for what it's worth. This is what I came up with. I would say this. My hope isn't that God will save me. My hope is in God who has saved me and I'm clinging to his promises by faith. See, I'm not trusting myself. I cannot be trusted. I know this. If I could lose my salvation, I would have lost it a long time ago. And I don't know that I can get it back either. Right? My confidence is not in me, it's in him. And that's where biblical hope is found. One author put it like this. He said, biblical hope carries no doubt. Biblical hope is a sure foundation upon which we base our lives, believing that God always keeps his promises. Look at Jesus' words. John chapter 6, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. He couldn't put it more succinctly. And yes, we have to open up that word belief. What does it mean to believe? You know, that demons believe. I, I understand that. I, I, I grant you that. But either you take him at his word there or you don't. Either you believe that or you don't. And so the question for all of us here today is who or what is, is, is your hope? Where is your hope? Where is your confidence? I hope it's in the God of hope. Before we celebrate the Lord's Supper, I said that the, uh, the expectation was the final point. Uh, I just lied. That's not true. See, I told you I can't be trusted. Whenever a preacher says finally or in conclusion, those are just meaningless phrases to buy us a few more minutes. For people who are nodding off, it's like, well, we're almost done. Hang in there. We are almost done. But we have the exhortation, the example, the explanation, the expectation, and I would add 
the expansion. Now, granted, I don't see this in the text proper. I think it's more of an extrapolation from it. But I think the Apostle Paul would agree with what I'm about to say. Evangelist Paul, church planner Paul, would agree with what I'm about to tell you. Yes, we need to be concerned with what's going on in the life of the church and how we interact with one another as various church members and all that and getting along, welcoming one another, not despising. Yes, and that's why Romans is devoting so much time to it. But if we're so internally focused that we neglect the evangelization of our world and our community, we're out of balance. And so I'm just trying to bring a little balance in here and let us not forget about the lost and dying world going on around us. So as the director of outreach here, I would encourage you to, to, to get involved somehow, some way. I hope you are doing that. I hope you're involved in the expansion. You're engaged in your community, your neighborhood. You know, it doesn't have to be through some, you know, living water sanctioned event. You know, maybe you run a neighborhood Bible study great. You're, you're baking cookies for the next door neighbor because you're trying to win them to Christ and share the gospel with them. Wonderful. But we offer lots of opportunities for you to do that here. We have hope, do we not? I mean, don't you want to share that hope with those you love in our community that seems so utterly hopeless? I mean, we need to repent of our apathy and our selfishness at times to not be so concerned with ourselves and to the neglection of the world that is just straight up dying out there. So we offer various things here. We have our Saturday morning outreach. I, I've been talking about that for a while. We get so many, we get like a dozen people from Living Water go down there to minister to 50, 60, 70 folks who gather uh, down there on the corner of Second and State. We bring a bunch of stuff down there. We get cleaned out every week. The gospel went forth yesterday. Relationships are being built. We have a blog on our website about it. Jeff Mason, shout out to him. He writes this blog, kind of giving you the word on the street. So you can get involved in that. That happened just yesterday morning. Lord willing, it'll happen next Saturday morning. Then, you know, I, just yesterday, I went to the, the Pride Festival yesterday. Did you know that was going on in our city? Yeah, I went down there, not trying to cause trouble or anything. I, I went down and yeah, it was, you know, it was a wild scene. It's pretty much what you'd expect it to be. A lot of interesting, flamboyant type people, I'm trying to be careful with my wording here. Uh, but you know, there, it was a big old party. There's preachers there. The, the, the gospel was going forth and there was back and forth people trying to drown out the preaching and, and all that. And you know, you know how it goes. I simply went, I had two little booklets called God and Sexuality and I wanted to just have some conversations with people and distribute those books. Two of them. That's all I was doing. But I got there and I felt compelled to do one thing. Pray. I was telling Pastor Mike this morning, this is so out of our hands. This is so out of control. We're called to do things. We're called to engage. We're called to, you know, we are the means, but we need God. We need God to intervene. And I just prayed. I prayed for that event. I prayed for the people in there. Uh, I prayed for the preachers. Uh, I prayed for our community. And, and I just, we just need to be engaged. We need to be involved. We'll be at National Night Out on Tuesday night right over here uh, behind 7-Eleven at Veneta Park. If you want to get involved in the community and you don't want to do it yourself or you feel like you can't, 
I'm not hard to find. You tell me what you want to do. We'll work with your gifting and your personality, and we'll find something where we can together engage our community. Because we got the hope. We got the words of hope. How can we not share them? So next Saturday, we're giving you yet another opportunity with Serve the Berg. Pastor Mike talked about it last weekend. We have a video that we're going to show during the offering. It's more of me. I'm sorry. You have to listen to me for a little more. Uh, too much of me this weekend. But we'll play that. It's pretty self-explanatory. I hope you'll consider coming out to uh, engage uh, in this uh, Exciting opportunity, really, and uh, I'll shoot you an email later today with more information. So uh, enough out of me. Let's pray. Lord, let us hold fast to the hope we profess. You have made promises to us, and we know you are faithful to make good on those promises. In you, we place our trust. We know that true hope does not disappoint because it is grounded in who you are. You're not a man that you should lie. You've spoken, and we know you will back up that which you have said. We trust your promises because we trust you. And that's the same with this offering. Do with it as you wish. You are the God of hope who is worth all our trust. So we ask that you guide us in the usage of these resources. Please drive these truths deep into our hearts so we will remember, especially during those times that seem so hopeless. Please do that for each of us today. And we ask this humbly in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. This is our community. I'm just minutes away from Living Water Community Church, just a few blocks down the road on Derry Street, away from 206 Oakley Avenue. And you and I, as followers of Christ, we are called to love our neighbor. And generally speaking, there's, there's two ways that you can do that. You can do that through words, and you can do that through deeds. Well, coming up on August 6th, we have a unique opportunity to do both. As we and other churches in the area partner with Wild Heart Ministries in Harrisburg to love the people of Harrisburg. We get to roll up our sleeves and love our community by serving them in various ways. We'll be picking up trash, we'll be doing some basic landscaping, even planting flowers. So don't forget to bring out your gloves, a water bottle, sunscreen, bug spray, and any tools that you may have like shovels, rakes, weed whackers,